0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, Tony, can I get the clicker? Because I am Latino. I need a clicker. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, It's great to see uh, some people visiting the church. It's always a good thing to have that and uh, shows us to be true disciples. Uh, The water in the back is the water of cleansing for uh, my friend, Luis Carmona. Uh, he's got his whole family here and friends here supporting him. You know, you, know, you appreciate your old friendships because Mike Blanda uh, over there uh, grew up with, uh, with Lewis and uh, Mike Blanda became a Christian last year or the year before and um, he reached out to Lewis and, and brought him said, you've got to come see this and Lewis came and uh, they've been friends for a long time. Uh, they, they sin together a lot, uh, you know, and one changes, you bring the other, and, and, and if they're open, they're open, and Lewis is a very open person, so it's great. He is a Celtic fan, just buyer beware, <laughs> buyer beware, we love him, we're going to have a great few weeks here, a great few weeks, it reminds me, it reminds me of the 80s, uh, but we're very pleased and we're happy to see all his friends here and supporting him, and thank you for coming, and... Uh, Thanks for being here for Lewis. That means a lot to him. He's a good, good man. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lesson today that my that my wife did. I don't normally take other people's sermons, but um, today I am. The feedback was so great. Humility, thank you. The feedback was so awesome. That, what my wife shared with the sisters, I'm going to now share with all of you. Uh, but I'm going to put a little geoism to the lesson. But it, it, it is it is really my wife's lesson. And um, I had some thoughts and, uh, about this lesson. The title of the lesson is, The Lion Never Sleeps. Who in the, who in the Bible... Now, there are two... In the Bible, there, the, the Bible describes the lion as two different people. There's the Lion of Judah, which is the, which is the, the ancestry for Jesus. And the Bible, which is awesome, because we all want, it, want, the, want the lion to defend us, you know. Uh, Aslan, if you've seen uh, the, 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 the movie, what's that movie called again? The Chronicles of Narnia, that's Aslan. We want him talking, he's awesome. He's the lion. But the Bible also describes this lion, he has a counterpart, an evil twin. He had, this evil twin wants nothing more than to destroy your life. He, he loves that you call yourself a Christian because he especially likes that tender meat. He enjoys it immensely. So I'm going to read to you something about the lion. The dark night sky was slowly brightening into a crimson sunrise. And light began creeping over a cool eastern horizon. It was going to be another clear South African morning. Somewhere near the Mozambique border, a zebra stood perfectly motionless, peering into the forest. Something seemed strange. The wind was at her back, and she saw nothing unusual. Yet something was not right. Earlier, she had been with the herd as they grazed in the meadow. She felt secure in their number. The grass was good, and the air was cool. She hardly noticed that her companions had moved on. Just a bit more to eat, and she would go too. But then she heard something. A small branch cracking, or a funny rustling of the grass. Hardly noticeable to a human, the strange noise was like an alarm siren to the zebra. Fear gripped her as she realized she was being watched. But she did not know which way to run, or who or how many were out there. She was very anxious, and it took all her self-control to remain motionless. She stood like a statue for 20 minutes. In the tall grass, two eyes stared coldly at the zebra. The lioness was hungry, yet cautious. It had been several days since she had eaten, but she knew it was not yet time. She peered through the grass, crouching low, tail down, chin near the ground, waiting. On her far left and right were two other lionesses, inching unseen toward the zebra. Soon they would be in a position. Behind the huntresses were the male and her cubs. The 450-pound male had chosen not to hunt that morning. A few meters away, the zebra faltered. The fear of being alone surpassed the fear of some unknown beast in the grass. She turned slowly and began to move deliberately toward the herd. Ever alert, she unknowingly turned her back to the leading lioness. Seizing the moments, the lioness moved forward through the grass, totally camouflaged. She moved quickly, with her head and tail low, still in a crouched position. Then the zebra heard it, a horrifying roar, a loud, terrifying sound that she could actually feel. Its purpose was to intimidate her, and it succeeded its purpose or the zebra was spooked and quickly turned her head in fright. She glanced into the grass for a split second before she spotted the charging beast. She turned and ran, but it was too late. Once moving, a lion can cover the length of a basketball court in just over 1 second. The first lion is slammed into the zebra at shoulder height, sending both animals tumbling into a cloud of dust and grass. Losing all sense of direction, the panicked zebra struggled to get back on her feet. Streaking through the air came the paw of the second lioness, who had charged close behind the first. As the razor-sharp, two-inch-long talons sliced through the zebra's skin and neck muscles, the force of the blow knocked her off balance again. As she fell backward, the first lioness bit down hard on her neck. With its teeth sinking in deeply, the breast, the beast, crushed her windpipe, As if she were caught in a vice grip. The zebra struggled to move, but the lioness's hold on her neck was unbreakable. She would be unconscious in a moment, but the lions did not wait. Hunger spurred them on as they ripped into the zebra's bowels. Indeed, her last experience of life would be the excruciating pain of being eaten alive. The zebra lay there stunned and dying. The pain of suffocation exceeded only by the agony of her flesh being torn apart. Soon the light faded from her eyes entirely. There's a real threat to our faith. There's a lion that's waiting just outside this building in the parking lot. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to show any signs of weakness. You know who he likes the most? Those who are alone. Those who walk out of church saying to themselves, I have no one that really knows me. I'm all alone. He likes those. You've watched it on TV. You've seen the lion attack a zebra on TV. They don't attack the ones in the herd. They want the ones who aren't a part of it. The Bible says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Look how the Bible describes Satan. He prowls. That means he looks around. That's what they call the guy who comes in your house, they call him a prowler. Because he doesn't make a lot of noise. He's, in the 80s, they, they used to call this guy, Richard Ramirez, the night prowler. The night stalker. And every, it was the hottest summer of my life. And everyone we kept their windows closed because they were afraid of the prowler coming into your window. And that was a real threat in Los Angeles. It was a real threat. The Bible describes him as, he looks. He prowls and He looks. He's looking because he wants to devour. What can we do? We can resist. We're not defenseless. We can resist him. We can stand firm. We can relate to other people because we know, if you're a Christian, that, you know what? Everyone feels like this. You You shouldn't walk away going, no one really knows who I am. See, a lot of times he prowls, he, he, he banks on the fact that you don't want to be open. He banks on the fact that you don't want to tell anyone what's going on in your life. He's banking on that. And that naturally isolates you. Yep. Right. It naturally does. And he loves that. Yep. Don't be deceived. He preys on us. He's looking today. I'm going to read you uh, the Lion, Satan's Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend an hour once a week with fellow Christians in the church. They are my best workers. Blessed are those who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can use them in my business. Blessed are those who are touchy, soon they will stop going to church, verily they shall be my missionaries. Blessed are those who sow gossip and trouble, they are my beloved children. Blessed are those who have no time to pray, for they are my prey. Blessed are those who gossip, for they are my secret agents. And blessed are you when you read this and think it has everything to do with other people and nothing to do with you. I've got room for you in my inn. Do not be deceived. He's out there. Now, there's a proverb that says, I can't go outside. There's a lion out there because it's an excuse to be scared. It's an excuse to. God does not want us to live in fear. God says you can stand, you can resist, and you can relate Because we can relate to each other. you know why? Because we all sin. So we have a relatability factor. Maybe your sin's a little different than mine, but we all have a lot of sin in our lives. And so we can relate to one another. He's always looking for someone to devour. He's looking. And when he finds you, he carries you off. He finds those who enable. He finds those who deceive. He finds those who just don't want to be real. He finds those who are full of pride. He finds those who don't read their Bibles. He finds those who always claim, stop being so legalistic. He loves those. Because it's an excuse to, to be unspiritual. He loves those people. Now I'm not saying, let's all be legalistic. What I'm saying is, let's be spiritual and righteous. I don't want that to be me. I I don't want that to be your kids or my kids. Because if you know the lion, he tries to hunt the young first. When the parents don't watch their young, or put it in your spiritual terms, if the parents aren't living the life, You expose your children to that. That's just the reality of our culture. Churchianity in America is, let's come to church on Sunday, and I don't really care how you're doing during the week. You can live how you want, when you want, but as long as you're coming to church on Sunday, it's good. That is directly opposite of the scriptures. Because that's what happens. People get frustrated. People get, they lose hope because they think, I love God, but I'm getting devoured. I, loved, I really love Jesus, but I'm getting devoured. And so they lose their heart, they lose their faith. And I'll tell you why in a moment. We cannot see the enemy. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against you and you and you and you. It's against the rulers, not the government. Against the authorities, not the government against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's something you cannot see. It is a spiritual war. He hides in the grass. He hides until it's the right time to strike. He waits till your heart is a little bit embittered, a little bit unhappy, And then he strikes. And when he strikes, he goes for the neck. He crushes us. It's not against our brothers and sisters. We're all trying to get to heaven. But the lion likes to attack us. And sometimes we let him in. Sometimes he hops the fence. San Francisco, a couple years ago, Three boys were out there at the park on the zoo and the lion jumped the moat. Yeah. And he grabbed one boy, and his friend got in front of the lion, and the lion stopped biting his friend and it came him and he died. Sometimes you gotta lay your life down to protect each other from the lion. That means you've got to have uncomfortable conversations. That means you have to ask uncomfortable questions. Are you willing to ask the uncomfortable questions? If you're not, he'll ask. He'll devour. He'll tear us apart. Sometimes in our fellowship, people don't want to talk about the, the, the sin, so we need to ask the questions. How are you doing in this area? We need one another relationships. It is the bedrock of Christianity. The Bible says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Jesus commands this. This is not like some kind of option if you want to. He commands us not only to have one another relationships, but to be devoted to one another in relationships. And to make that happen. We have to make time for that to happen. It's a direct command. It's not something... What you, you don't want is end up being a Sunday-to-Sunday Sunday Christian. Because you know and I know that you're not living the Christian life. It's too difficult when you're alone. That's why God made the church. Amen. He made this for us not to be alone. And it's sad when I study the Bible with people who claim to be Christian... And, and no one knows what's going on. They don't confront the immorality. They don't say, "Hey, wait a minute, that you know, you're not tied in." Let's get together. They don't do that. They want the experience, and that's awesome. Don't get me wrong. This with the life is powerful. This to coat over your sins. Is irreverence to come for this when really you're living like a pagan and you want to come here to feel it is unacceptable. But that's what's out there. That's what our culture says it's okay because we want you to pack our pews. We want you to give your money in guilt. Just give us the money and have, and we'll have thirty band members and we'll have a super mega church. What I'm telling you is this: You guys have experienced this. I'm not telling you something you not already experienced. That was what I thought Christianity was. You you live like you want, and you go to church on Sunday, and everyone feels great. I'm like wow, this is this is kind of cool. It's pretty girls here too. That's what I thought it was. Then I come here, I'm going like, oh, it's pretty girls here too. But then, psh, hey, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, be Christian. Real, real Christian. Yeah. Oh, dang. Snap. Yep. Reality set in. are <laughs> some questions. Do you get together with somebody? Discipleship is this. Like two disciples get together and they open their Bibles and they talk about spiritual things in their lives. They're just, they're just, there's a deep connection there. And we call that discipling. You know, you're trying to help. Or if it's a group. A group of brothers, we call that a D group, and we all talk about our lives and the Bible, and we get encouragement, we get strengthened. Sometimes it's a challenge. Hey, let's get better. Let's do better. How often do you confess your sins? How often are you open? Have you met with another Christian for prayer and a Bible study once a week for the last month? Have you, are you consistent? When was the last time you were in a Bible study with a non-Christian or a fall study? Are you involved? You Want to get involved. If a person in your group is Mrs. House Church or Sunday, I mean, are you there to encourage them? Are you there hey, what's going on? I missed you. I made a lot of calls this week to brothers who, who missed you know, D Group and I'm trying to call them and they're not calling me back. Amen. Hey, what's going on? I hope the lion doesn't have them in their mouth. I, I'm concerned. I want to know how they're doing. The lion could be in the bathroom. I want to get him out of the house. It's that kind of concern. It's that kind of love. Like, hey, I love you, man. I really do. You know, our fellowship, and I'll be honest with you, people have come to me and they feel like they're, they're excluded because they're not, they don't have the history that you have with other disciples, and so they feel on the outside and not on the inside. And these are disciples that come from different parts of the church that are disciples, And they feel a little bit like they're trying to get in and have relationships. And they invite people over and no one comes over. People have told me that. And no one's told me the person's name, of course. That's why I'm being general about it. And I'm not staring at anybody. I'm just trying to keep my head moving. I'm not staring at you. I'm not looking at you, okay? I don't know who it is. But I'm just trying to put that on your plate because you should be very active with other disciples, especially when someone comes visiting from another church. Let them feel our love and welcome. Yeah, they don't have our history. And we have a unique history here, which is awesome. But we've got to let people in and not be in little groups. Does that make sense? Um, we've got to be committed to relationships, no matter how hard they are. I'm going to read you original little, little story. Sunday morning services were going very, very smoothly when suddenly a flash of light and smoke appeared in front of the pulpit, followed by a large boom! When the smoke cleared, the astonished congregation saw a red figure complete with horns, pitchfork, and a tail. Immediately panic set in. People crowded through the doors, trampling each other in their rush to get away. Satan watched the retreat with great glee. But his mood was disturbed by the sight of one man still lounging comfortably in the pews. Do you know who I am? Satan thundered. The man replied nonchalantly, sure I do. Satan was puzzled. Do you not fear me? Nope. Why not? What for? I've been married to your sister for 35 years. <laughs> we got to be devoted to each other. we got to be committed to each other. Nothing should scare you away. I don't care how hard the relationship is in this, in this building. Nothing should scare you away. I don't care, this person. I heard him say something about me. Then go talk to them. Yeah. Don't be like, I'm mad at these people. Because you make yourself pray. Yeah, good point. You make yourself pray. Yeah. The Bible is specific. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Yeah. Pretty clear, huh? Yeah. And it also has a stipulation. But, but what if he doesn't get it? The Bible says... If he doesn't get it, bring another person along with you and say it again. But, but what if he's prideful? He's a leader. Well, the Bible says, if he doesn't listen to them too, then tell it to the church. I mean, there are so many safeguards for you to, be, to have the safety of saying, hey, bro, um, you're my feelings. And no matter if he's the Fonzie, he, he, he can't say, I'm so, I can't, I'm so, he can't. No matter if he's the Fonz. He just can't say it. He just, he can't do it. There's a stipulation that you bring someone else in. Right. Yeah, that's true. There should be no reason why you don't talk to someone except it's fear. And fear is what got the zebra in trouble because of fear she panicked. Yeah. And when you panic, you make poor decisions. Yeah. And poor decisions lead to being lunch. <laughs> the Bible says this. It's biblical to teach each other. People in our culture think the only teaching comes from me on this pulpit. It's a big mistake. It's the deception that only the preacher can preach the Bible. The Bible says this I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. That's what God says about you. He says you're full of goodness, He says you have knowledge. And you are competent. And then he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. Colossians 3.16. Here's what admonish means. To reprove or to correct gently but earnestly. It also means to counsel against something to be avoided. To caution them. Caution them. Hey, bro, I wouldn't, that's not a good idea. I wouldn't do that. To remind of something forgotten or disregarded as an obligation or responsibility. couple things. God thinks you're competent. The reason why God doesn't put that responsibility solely on me is because we've become a Sunday-to-Sunday Sunday churchianity. God says everyone is competent to counsel. That means that you can sit down with each other and open the Bible up and talk to each other. Amen. Everyone can do that. And everyone should do that. Everyone ought to do that. And when we do that, it does something to us. It makes us closer. It keeps the herd tight. Because in the Bible, if you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, i do not sure if you can read this small writing, but I'm going to read it for you. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, to the, uh, the foot should say because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's what the Bible says. That's what the church should look like. So what can you do? Here's what you can do. You can encourage. The Bible says, encourage each other daily. My challenge to you is to encourage someone daily. In today's communication age, that's easy peasy. SMS there, done G. I'll do it right now while you're talking. <laughs> Voicemail, no problem. Email, no problem. Remember the three forms of the three fastest forms of communication when I was growing up was telephone, telefax, and a sister. So I mean, <laughs> we're way past that. We're in the supersonic era now. Pretty soon I'll be able to think an SMS message. Hmm. Send. Good. I'm waiting for that to happen. The Bible says to do it every day as as long as it's called today. Here's why. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Yes, sin is very deceitful. It's sneaky. Daily, we're called to encourage because we all need it. Who doesn't need, bro? I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you today and I love you, bro. And, If you need anything, just give me a call. I want to talk. I want to hang out. Who doesn't need that? The only person I don't want calling me is the lion. Don't call me. If there's someone in your group that does not call you back, make it a priority They get encouraged. That's that's a telltale sign. If they're not calling you back, encourage them. Don't get mad at them. Encourage them. Don't get all mad (laughs) at Four times, man. We get all angry. Get angry? Encourage the guy. Ask him what's going on. That's, that's all my friends, but this is different. That's not, we don't treat people how you grew up. You know, anger doesn't bring about God's righteousness. Encourage that person. He's some encouragement. The Bible says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just as in fact you are doing. Hmm. Say something positive. You know, here's here's what not to do. Hey, bro, you haven't called me back in three days, bro. I know you're sinning. I don't know what your sin is, but I feel the sin. Bro, call me and confess it. That's not how to do it. What I do is, what I do is, come on, man, I've called you. Talk to me, baby. I love you. Talk to me. I love you. I'm here for you, man. Come talk to me. Come on, man. Give me a call back. Love you. It's positive. Yeah, you're concerned, but you're loving about it. You want, want him to talk to you. Look at that. We need to be humble with one another. Confess our sins. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This is what God says. He says this: "If you are full of pride, I will oppose you. I'm against you." That's what he says. If you're humble, you're lifted up. Prideful people don't go to heaven. The reason why God hates pride so much is because his archangel, Lucifer, thought he was too good for heaven. So God saw pride firsthand in heaven. And that Lucifer became the angel of light, which we now call the devil. So God is very aware of what pride looks like. And no, the angel doesn't have horns and a tail. He's the most beautiful looking thing you'll ever see. He's the most attractive being you'll ever encounter. And that's the deception. He's awesome, but he's too awesome for heaven. So when you think about pride, I don't think about evil things. It's a self self sufficiency, self confidence where I'm so spiritual, I don't need to pray. I love God so much. I'm not going anywhere. I love the Lord. I'm not going. I don't read my Bible, but I love the Lord. I'm here. I'm here. I'm in it to win it. Pride. I don't need to be humble to the Father because I'm not going anywhere. Pride. I'm not going to get open because then I'll get in trouble. Pride. Pride. It's Pride, and God opposes it. He says that God so much wants to give you grace. God's abounding in grace. He's He's got more than enough. God understands your sinful nature because he made you, of course. He understands it. That's why he says, I'll give grace if you're humble. You can come to heaven all kind of jacked up, but you've got to be humble. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you mean you can just crawl into heaven. I made a man. I made it. Peter, grab my hand. <laughs> yeah. Humble. I oh, got look all purdy going into heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm all legit. God wants you humble. Amen. And when you're not humble, you're not real. Some, some people, are, they're about as real as a $3 bill. It's like, man, this is not real. It's a phony. We don't want to be phonies. We want to be honest. Tuesday, we're going to deal with the phony in the church. So don't miss that. Because everyone's got to hear that announcement. Because when you get prideful, you get phony. And you turn into phony baloney. (laughs) But that's what that it does. It's such a hideous sin. And you know all of us are prideful. So don't think, oh, that's somebody else. (laughs) Beatitudes, remember that one. No, that's you. That's me. But look at the vision God wants us to have. This is the vision. He says this. Jesus came to the the disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's his perfect plan. There are so many people hurting out there that need this fellowship. They want this fellowship, but they're not finding the fellowship. They're going to church, but they're frustrated. They want this. They want what we have. But if we don't open our mouths, they'll never find us. We're commanded. Obey. Teach each other. Obey. Sisters. There you go, sisters. a picture for you right there. Teach each other. It's going to be your entire lifetime. But this will protect you from the lion. Brothers, iron sharpens iron. Even got a tough guy there for it. Even he loves the Lord. (laughs) But some souls have settled for lukewarm Christianity. And when you're lukewarm, you're lunch meat. There's the lion. Worse than this, some souls have been devoured. This is what the, the Bible describes. I'm just trying to give you a picture of what the Bible says. Sometimes pictures are better than a thousand words, it's what it looks like. Your souls are devoured because you settled for lukewarm Christianity. That's what happens. Hate to be so frightening, but sometimes a sermon needs to be a little scary. It's okay. And Albert's all building me up. Here's the messenger. Yeah, the message you got. there. yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Awesome Albert's like, oh, man. If I only knew. But we can obey God together. Yeah. We can defeat the lion. Amen. He don't have to get us. No. We can win that one. Yeah. We can rejoice in heaven. Yeah. That's an awesome thing. We want to make it. But he's waiting. He never sleeps. He never quits. He'll never stop chasing you. He never will, as long as you're alive. The Bible says in Romans, I mean Revelation 12, verse 7, He hates you. That's not very loving. Well, yeah, he's not loving. But he describes his hatred for anyone who is an offspring of Jesus. He wants to destroy you. That's why we need one another. Amen. Because the lion never sleeps. Thank you. To God be the glory. <laughs>